Amen. Amen. I like that. Well, let's take a look in the Bible at Acts chapter 10. And the title of the sermon is simply just two words. Gentiles converted. Gentiles converted. I almost feel with the sermon titles as we look to Acts chapter 10, it should be the, but, but I thought I'd leave the the off because it's Gentiles converted open-ended. And here we are today, Gentiles grafted into the covenant of God. Not that the Lord doesn't still save Jewish people, he does. But um, Acts chapter 10, we'll hear the word of God and then seek to preach from this passage. Acts chapter 10. Well, the last verse of chapter 9. And he, that's Peter, stayed in Joppa for many days with one Simon, a tanner. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort. A devout man who feared God with all his household gave alms generously to the people and prayed continually to God. About the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God come in and say to him, Cornelius. And he stared at him in terror and said, What is it, Lord? And he said to him, Your prayers and your arms have ascended as a memorial before God, and now send men to Joppa and bring one Simon, who is called Peter. He is lodging with one Simon, a tanner, whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had departed, he called two of his servants and the devout soldier from among those who attended him, and having related everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. The next day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the housetop about the sixth hour to pray. And he became hungry and wanted something to eat. But while they were preparing it, he fell into a trance and saw the heavens opened and something like a great sheet descending being let down by its four corners upon the earth. In it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air, and there came a voice to him, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, By no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice came to him a second time, What God has made clean, do not call common. This happened three times, and the thing was taken up at once to heaven. Now while Peter was inwardly perplexed as to what the vision that he had seen might mean, behold the men who were sent by Cornelius, having made inquiry for Simon's house, stood at the gate and called out to ask whether Simon, who was called Peter, was lodging there. And while Peter was pondering the vision, the Spirit said to him, Behold, three men are looking for you. Rise and go down and accompany them without hesitation, for I have sent them. And Peter went down to the men and said, 
I am the one you are looking for. What is the reason for your coming? And they said, Cornelius, a centurion, an upright and God-fearing man who is well spoken of by the whole Jewish nation, was directed by a holy angel to send for you to come to his house and to hear what you have to say. So he invited them in to be his guests. The next day he rose and went away with them, and some of the brothers from Joppa accompanied him. And on the following day they entered Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. When Peter entered, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter lifted him up, saying, Stand up, I too am a man. Verse 27, And as he talked with him, he went in and found many persons gathered, and he said to them, You yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with you or to visit at any one of another nation, but God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without objection. I asked then, why you sent for me? And Cornelius said, Four days ago, about this hour, I was praying in my house at the ninth hour, and behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing and said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard and your arms have been remembered before God. Send therefore to Joppa and ask for Simon, who is called Peter. He is lodging in the house of Simon Atana by the sea. So I sent for you at once, and you have been kind enough to come. Now, therefore, we are all here in the presence of God to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. So Peter opened his mouth and said, Truly I understand that God shows no partiality, But in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. As for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace, through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. You yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee, after the baptism that John proclaimed how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil. For God was with him. And we are witnesses of all that he did, both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree. But God raised him on the third day and made him to appear not to all the people, but to us who had been chosen by God as witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one 
appointed by God to be judge of the living and the dead. To him all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. Verse 44. While Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. And the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. For they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. Then Peter declared, Can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked him to remain for some days. How do we respond to that? Well, we could say, hallelujah, praise God. Because this is a magnificent event in the history of the church. And it's not just one individual being converted, for which we rejoice in that. We've been hearing about the growth of the church in Judea, the growth of the church in Jerusalem, the growth of the church going beyond there. Then we saw or heard about the Ethiopian eunuch being converted, for which we rejoiced, and the gospel being taken into Africa. Then the apostle, well, Paul, who at that time was Saul of Tarsus, got converted. That's wonderful. But here, God takes control of the situation and spreads his gospel to these unclean people like you and I, called uncircumcised Gentiles and God says I'm going to save them and but it was a, an obstacle for Peter at first but let's look at this verse in chapter 9 and verse 43 it tells us that Peter was staying somewhere where was he staying he was staying in the house of Simon the Tanner Simon the Tanner well that's the first thing to note and you'll notice in chapter 10 keeps on mentioning Simon the Tanner. So in other words, he wouldn't be mistaken when this group of people come up, including soldiers, to actually get Peter, not to arrest him, but to actually bring him to bring the gospel. Simon the Tanner. Well, let's just make a comment on that before we give the headings, is that generally for very strict Jewish people, like the Pharisees and and so forth, and maybe the Sadducees. And, and don't forget, Peter had observed now for many years the interaction between Jesus and these Pharisees. They didn't generally look on tanners as being great people because a tanner deals with dead animals and has to then rip the skins off dead animals and then to tan them so you can buy leather. And, you know, that would be marginally, well, a bit unclean. But yet Peter, we see here, he's got a more flexible wineskin now because he's actually staying in the house of Simon the Tanner. And then we find in chapter 10 and verse 1, Caesarea, which was a Roman-built port. 
And what we find, we've got three headings for us to see about these Gentiles being converted. Number one, Peter and Cornelius, not just Peter, but this Gentile Cornelius, were prepared. They were prepared by the Lord. And both needed to be prepared for the gospel to to burst the river banks to spread into the Gentile world. Secondly, we'll look at Peter's preaching, but then thirdly, Gentiles saved. So the first heading for us this morning is Peter and Cornelius prepared. And this narrative, this story, doesn't begin with Peter, it begins with Cornelius. This Gentile, uncircumcised man, this Roman soldier, 10 verse 1 at Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort. But what do we notice about this man? He was prepared by the Lord because he was a, a devout man that we see, one who feared God with all of his household. And he gave alms generously uh, to the people of Israel. So he had a softened heart, but he wasn't converted to the gospel. But that's all going to change in a moment, and God handpicked him. And we find almost a, a point of humor here because an angel meets with him. We've no idea how he knows it is an angel, but he, this angel appears to him and says in verse 4, your prayers and your arms have ascended as a memorial before God. And now send men to Joppa and bring one Simon who is called Peter. The first thing is that it's wonderful that his prayers and his giving ascended to God before a memorial, but the only way we get to heaven is by being saved, by being converted, by being uh, washed in the blood of Jesus. And so what does the Lord say to him? He says, verse 5, Now send men to Joppa and bring one Simon who is called Peter. He is lodging with one Simon a tanner whose house is by the sea. And when the angel who spoke to him had departed, he called two of his servants and a devout soldier among those who attended him, and having related to them, he sent them to Joppa. So here, this powerful man, this man Caesarea, uh, this centurion over soldiers, actually sends a soldier to bring Peter back. Now what's funny about this is, is that Peter is now getting used to soldiers knocking on his door and saying, Peter, come with me, young man, and throwing him into jail. And, and yet God seems to supernaturally work and keeps getting Peter and the apostles out of prison. But this time, this soldier is not sent for, this Gentile soldier is not sent to arrest Peter. This Gentile soldier is sent to protect Peter, to bring him so that the gospel can be preached. Isn't that amazing? What a different thing we have. Uh, this grace among the Gentiles there compared with the, uh, the, the religious Jews who were so, so opposing the gospel. And so we see Cornelius is being prepared. And so what doctrine do we get from this? Well, it, it, clearly it's the doctrine of divine providence that the Lord is supernaturally preparing Cornelius. But that's only half of the story. Because now there's another problem. It's preparing Peter. Why is that a problem? Well, 
Peter had been brought up as a Jew, and you didn't spend time with uncircumcised Gentiles. We were kind of unclean. You know, you don't want to eat with a Gentile because you never know, they may bring out a pork sandwich in the middle of the, in the, middle of the meal, and then what's going to happen? You're going to have to uh, have an embarrassing situation. So you kept away uh, from Gentiles in case those kinds of things happened. And so already now, this man Cornelius, he remains in Caesarea, but he sent this uh, group of men to go and collect Peter, and Peter is in the house of, of Simon the Tanner. And the wonderful timing, if you see in verse 9, the next day, as they were on their journey, as they were on their journey, and approaching the city, Peter went up on the housetop about the sixth hour to pray. And he became hungry and wanted something to eat, but while they were pre preparing it, he fell into a trance. And now the Lord deals with Peter to prepare him to go, because in just a few hours' time, there's going to be a knock on the door again, and this time it's going to be men who are going to say, we want you to come down to meet with these Gentiles in, in Caesarea, and before what God does, he probably wouldn't have gone. So the Lord's going to deal with Peter now, and what we find is the timing of this is just amazing. I wonder if the boys and girls can remember about the book of Jonah. Remember Jonah? Remember that great fish, that whale? And the timing of God, when, they, when, the, when the, the seamen threw Jonah over into the sea, the perfect timing, not the day before, but the, and not the day after, but just as they threw him into the sea, at the same time this miracle happened, that this great whale was there just at the time as they were throwing him into the sea, and then opened its mouth and swallowed up Jonah and saved his life. And the same thing happens here. The timing of God is perfect. At just the time when these men are on their way, before they get there, the Lord deals with Peter. So let's be encouraged by that, that the Lord's timing is not ours. It's in God's hand. Maybe you're feeling this morning... Maybe a bit impatient and thinking, Lord, you know, we've been praying, we've been praying, and we've been praying, and I'm not seeing an answer. And the Lord says, well, the Lord, we learn from Cornelius that our prayers are sent before the Lord, and he will answer, but he'll answer in his timing. So Peter's now on the roof, and he falls into a trance. I've no idea what a trance is, but it's some semi-conscious state, and then he gives him a vision. Now, the vision that is given is all these animals, which includes unclean animals, and this is not first and foremost a lesson for us that we as Christians can eat anything, which we can. We can. If you say you want to, you know, you want to have a real appetite for smoked snake, well, you're not going to lose your salvation by eating smoked steak. That's not, sorry, that's smoked steak. That would be quite nice. So, sorry, smoked snake. So we as Christians... We're no longer under the food laws of the Old Testament. If you want to follow those, that's your choice, but we're not bound to that. But this vision is to soften Peter's mind to show him that he'd been brought up with a certain uh, approach to life, but what happens is the Lord causes his inner traditions to crumble. So with this vision, 
of all these animals in verse 12, in it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. Reptiles, imagine that. These are not dinosaurs, they're reptiles. But we're not, as a Jewish person, you are not to be eating reptiles. They were unclean. And so the Lord has got to deal with Peter's traditions and says, and there came a voice to him, that's to Peter, rise, Peter, kill and eat. Well, Peter said, very different to Ananias. Remember when the Lord spoke to Ananias and told him to go and pray for Saul? Peter says, not uh, by no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. So again, we don't know exactly how he knows it is the Lord, but he didn't know it was the Lord. And he says, by no means, Lord, because he'd been brought up and this tradition needs to crumble. And this vision causes an inner crumbling of his vision. He remains stubborn. And we know that how stubborn the Jews could be because Stephen preached and said, you stiff-necked Jews. But what we find here is that the Lord says to him in verse 15, the voice came to him a second time, what God has made clean do not call common. This happened three times, and the thing was taken up at once into heaven. Now, verse 17, while Peter was inwardly perplexed as to what the vision that he had seen might mean, behold, the men who were sent by Cornelius, having made inquiry, came and stood at the gate. And now he's prepared. He realizes that what God has called uh, uh, clean do not call common. Now, just a practical point here before we move to our second heading. Here we see Peter is prepared and Cornelius is prepared. Sometimes what we find now is that God gave a vision to Cornelius, but a vision alone is not sufficient means by which the church would be extended and would grow. God calls a man to preach the gospel. And so we see something of the pattern of the Lord. I want to make a comment here because sometimes over the years you get challenged as a preacher and saying, well, yes, you're saying it's really important preaching, but, Kevin, what about the Muslims? You're saying, well, what about the Muslims? The un unsaved Muslims? Yes, but the Muslims, they're having visions and dreams left, right, and center. Ever heard those stories? And they're coming to Jesus all over the place. It's hard, that kind of question, because, you know, I, I don't have access to a billion Muslims to interview them. I can talk to missionaries who, uh, you know, and, but it depends on how doctrinally sound the missionary is. But what we find as a pattern here is, because it's very hard to verify and falsify that, but what we have as a pattern in the Word of God here, not only in just chapter 10, but everywhere, that the means that God uses to gather in his elect is primarily through the preaching of the word of God. So even if someone did have a vision or a dream, at best what it would do is stir them up to go and hear, hear preaching by which they might be saved. But some Christians, when you say that to them, they say, well, yes, 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 well, that's just your opinion. But here we see this pattern in the word of God. So... To cut a long story short, Peter's prepared and Cornelius is also prepared as well. So our second heading, these two men are prepared, is Peter's preaching. 
Peter's preaching. So what we find now, it says that he's asked to go and he's lodging there and they spend the night there and then they go the following day. Don't forget, you couldn't jump into a car and drive down the coast. So normally you would travel early in the morning. So they've got the evening together and then it tells us here in the Word of God that in verse 21, Peter went down to the men and said, I am the one you're looking for. What is the reason for your coming? And then verse 23, so he invited them to be his guests, and the next day he rose and went away with them. He rose and went away with them. But this is a long chapter, and there's this interaction then when Peter gets to the house of Cornelius, this Gentile house. And he doesn't for a moment think, I'm not going to cross the threshold of this house. He's already prepared to go into this Gentile house, no matter what they're going to say about him in Jerusalem, and they're not all going to be happy about what Peter's doing, but he's an apostle called by God to preach the word of God. And so Cornelius explains he's gathered all of his relatives and his friends into the house. He's gathered them into his house, and what's he gathered them for? He's gathered them to hear preaching. He's gathered them to hear the preaching of the gospel, not first and foremost to get excited about the vision that he's had. Oh, wow, that's wonderful. No, they need to hear the gospel. And so we find here uh, that Peter then preaches the word of God. And it begins uh, for us in chapter 10. I was in 11 there. 11 repeats the story. Chapter 10 in verse 34. So Peter is preaching in this house. They've all gathered, these Gentiles, and he opened his mouth, which you've got to do to preach. He opened his mouth. He's not here to do a drama. It says Peter opened his mouth. It doesn't say Peter opened his guitar case and blew them away with an amazing solo and was singing about Jesus in Galilee. It says Peter opened his mouth because preaching, though it's a humble means, it's the means by which God has ordained that people would be saved and the church would grow. Peter opened his mouth, and then what we find is a summary of what he preaches. Now, what we need to be reminded of is that Luke is not writing down, like a journalist, a, a verbatim account of everything he says. We have just the headlines, really, of what Peter preaches. So he opened his mouth, and if he had time to prepare, he's only had 24 hours but he was a man prepared. Remember, on the day of Pentecost, he didn't have weeks to prepare on the day of Pentecost either, but he was a man prepared. So Peter opened his mouth and says in verse 34, truly I understand that God shows no partiality. Isn't that wonderful? This Jewish apostle is now saying to these Gentiles, that he understands that God does not have partiality. That's wonderful for us to be reminded of. Um, wouldn't it be wonderful if someone like Boris Johnson got converted? It'd be wonderful. It'd be wonderful 
if anyone gets converted. But we wouldn't want to parade Boris Johnson around like a superstar, saying, look at Boris, he's now born again. Because God shows no partiality. When you're in the kingdom of God, you know, we're, we become saints, we become disciples of the Lord, and, and we never rise beyond that. So Peter's an apostle, and he says, uh, God shows no partiality, but in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. And then he explains in his preaching about the gospel that came through Jesus. So he's not preaching about himself. He's exalting Jesus. And he says, verse 36, as for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ. Now, I think it's fair to say that these Gentiles would have heard something about Jesus Christ. Uh, They'd have heard something of the miracles that he did, something of what he was preaching. But they didn't know the whole story. And he says to them that Jesus is himself preaching good news of peace. In other words, Jesus himself was a preacher. He himself was preaching good news of peace. And now Peter is saying, I've come to bring the gospel. And he also comes preaching the word of God. The word of God meaning the gospel. And so he's got, a, he's got an audience who are really listening. These are not people who are gnashing their teeth and saying, who is this Simon Peter? What's the point in getting him down here? We expected something different. No, the whole household are prepared. Not only Cornelius. Why are you and I saved if you're converted? It's the grace of God. No one can come to me, Jesus said, except the Father who sent me draws him. And then he goes on and says in verse 38, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all repressed of the devil, but that's not enough to be saved. He has to come to the apex of the message of the gospel, which is the death of Jesus on the cross. But look about how graphically he describes the cross. In verse 39, he says, they, who's they? The Jews, they put him who Jesus to death, how? By hanging him on a tree. Imagine dying by, by hanging and then being hung on a tree, which is what he's describing crucifixion as. And don't forget, it was the Romans who, who, were, who popularized crucifixion. And he's now preaching to a, a Roman centurion. But then look at verse 40. He preaches the cross, but he doesn't stop there either. He then preaches the resurrection. He says, but God raised him on the third day. He preaches to them that three days later, this same Jesus was raised from the dead. And there were these, this house was full with Cornelius, his friends, his relatives. Their mouths are wide open. You know, like birds. We don't, the birds have finished nesting now, haven't they? But a few months ago, they were chirping away in the garden, weren't they? Chip, 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 chip. And the, the mother would, and the, maybe the father, I don't know how it works, but 
the parents, they would bring worms and stuff and their mouths are just wide open. And these people here, their mouths are just wide open. They're prepared for the word of God. It says, and God raised him on the third day, but also made him appear. Not to all people, but to us who have been chosen. And then he just, one other point before we come to the last heading. He introduces something in the gospel here that becomes very important throughout the book of Acts. He says in, in verse 42, then he commanded us to preach to the people and also to tell people that God has appointed Jesus to be the judge of the living and the dead. And we need to preach as part of the gospel that we will all be judged. And today we have another day to prepare ourselves to make sure that we're washed and cleansed through the blood of Jesus that he shed upon that cross. That we're cleansed so that we can face that day of judgment not in our own strength but by looking to Jesus to be saved because as that hymn says thou must save and thou alone and these gentiles are hearing this message this message of that we will all be judged and they will be judged so that's peter's preaching it's fairly brief what we've got recorded here because it's not every single detail the whole point of this the climax is now the third heading which is Gentiles saved. What's going to happen? Are they going to be like a gripper and say, that's very interesting, thank you for coming, but we need to think more about this? Well, we're going to find out. The Gentiles hear the preaching of the word of God, and then God takes over. God has used man, he's prepared man, who's Peter. Peter can do so much. Preachers can only do so much. Preachers can preach. But as the hymn says, thou must save and thou alone. And the third heading is Gentiles saved. I met someone this week who'd recently been converted a few months ago, and as I was talking to them, it's clear they've genuinely been converted. Of course, only God knows the heart and everything else, but how refreshing it is to meet someone who's been recently converted, especially in these barren days and you know, and this person being converted, it seemed as if in this year, with personal circumstances, nothing to do with COVID whatsoever, personal circumstances, his whole life had just collapsed around him, which often happens when God saves the elect. He shows us nothing you're trusting in will help you in this world. A non-Christian, the same could happen, and it has no effect. But this young man who was talking to me, his whole world had just collapsed around him. And the Lord was showing him that his whole life was so fragile. And it was so wonderful to hear about how he came to know the Lord. And the Lord used preaching. And he heard a sermon about the, uh, the woman, you know, the woman with the issue of blood. You know that story? And the shame that she had. But she, she pressed on beyond that shame to get to Jesus. And as he heard the preaching, he said, I heard, that was me I was being described. The shame that he felt with all that had happened in his life and, and how this woman pressed through the shame and came to Jesus and, and he himself 
came to Jesus that day through the preaching of the word of God. And how refreshing it is, how we long to see and hear more people converted. Well, here is what happens. The third heading, Gentiles saved. Listen to verse 44. While Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. Let me read that one more time. While Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. What a tragedy it is when people, and especially even people of professing Christians, that they, they mock the necessity of preaching. We need to pray for laborers. We, we need preachers in our nation, in the future generation as well. And here, the people are hearing the word of God preached. And as they're hearing, the Holy Spirit falls on all of them. Isn't that amazing? Not half of the room. It wasn't just Cornelius who was going to be saved, him and all of his friends and relatives. And verse 46, the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed that the Holy Spirit had fallen upon them. Here's this Gentile, shall we call it, it's like a day of Pentecost, but it's no longer among the Jews, it's the Gentiles. And how do we know about all of this well in chapter 11 peter has to give a report again of all that's been happening there's been quite a stir gentiles get saved and what we find out is that he brought i think it was about half a dozen peter brought about half a dozen of his friends with him and they themselves witnessed these uncircumcised gentiles getting saved men and women the Holy Spirit fell upon them, and it says in verse 46, for they were hearing them speaking in tongues, languages, and extolling God. They heard them now praising God. They were unsaved, I don't know, an hour ago, who knows. But now that the Holy Spirit falls upon them, and they're, they're praising God. I presume it must have been in, in, in Latin if they were, I don't know, that was the, the Roman language. But they heard them now praising God, giving thanks to God. And verse 46, when they heard them praising God, verse 47, Peter declared, it's like the Ethiopian eunuch again now, isn't it? But on a bigger scale, can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, and they asked him to remain for some days. What a wonderful miracle. These Gentiles are saved. And did you notice that the mode of baptizing is not mentioned? You know, how? what's the mode of baptism? Well, the history of the church shows us that people have been baptized with water in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, either by sprinkling, either by pouring, or by dipping. People say, oh yes, well they're in the sea, they're near the seaside, so they obviously went to the sea. Well, that might be true, but it might not be true, and you might be adding to the word of God because you have a baptistic tradition 
that says that you have to be baptized by full immersion, and if your nose doesn't fully go under, you might have to be baptized twice. You might be pushed under the water again and say, well, you were, you were not fully baptized. But the mode of baptism here is not given to us. What we know is that water has to be administered, and these Gentiles are now baptized. And that's important for us because there's no example of someone to be a Christian in the book of Acts who then has not been baptized. You know, there are certain groups of Christians over the years, they say, well, like the Salvation Army, and they're not the only one, they say, well, let's not get involved in baptism and the Lord's Supper, because that can be controversial. But to be a church, you have to get involved in baptism and the Lord's Supper, because they are marks of the church. And sometimes over the years, as an elder, you actually occasionally, not often, but meet situations with the Lord's Supper and then someone says you say are you a Christian they say yes you say have you been baptized and they say no and so occasionally you do meet people in certain uh, I remember meeting someone from a Presbyterian church in in Northern Ireland and they said that they hadn't been baptized and we had to say well we can't serve you the Lord's Supper because part of a condition of being a Christian and, and added to the church is that you need to be baptized. And that's important for us. But what can we do this morning? But praise God, the next chapter, Peter repeats what happens, and it's worthy of having repeated, because what happens here, an apostle is involved, the gospel comes to the Gentiles in this one-off event, so that the Holy Spirit's poured out supernaturally, and then the gospel spreads to the Gentile world and here we are in a chapel this morning, and we're part of the fruit of this marvelous gospel extension, which we're going to learn more about, if God permits, in the next few weeks from Acts chapter 13. And then Paul and Barnabas being sent on their missionary journeys. So as we close this morning, we do have to acknowledge what we've heard this morning is a missionary situation with an apostle these are unusual times with unusual angelic activity in the church, just like angels appeared to Mary and Joseph. But it doesn't mean that that's now always going to happen every time God's going to do a fresh work. Secondly, that vision of Peter, which he had, makes us think and examine ourselves if we have inner traditions which actually are against the word of God. Because Peter did. Uh, the path is narrow, Jesus says. Narrow is the path that leads to life. And few there be that find it. But let's not make our path more narrow than God himself makes it. And let's ask ourselves on this Lord's Day, Lord, are there any inner traditions that I have that actually are unbiblical? And then we have this doctrine of divine providence, like we said with Jonah and the whale, and here we've got, uh, not Jod and the whale, but Cornelius's men and, and Peter. And how they come together at the perfect timing. Before Cornelius's men knock on the door, God has already prepared Peter. The fourth thing is, we have a rich doctrine of the Holy Spirit. Of the Holy Spirit. And 
You know, reformed people, of all people, should have a rich doctrine of the Holy Spirit. Because here we see that, we've said that while Peter was preaching, the Holy Spirit fell upon those who heard the word. Now this is a, this might jolt you, but John Owen said, I'm I'm paraphrasing what he said, but he, he said something to the effect of this, if it's not with the Holy Spirit, we may as well burn our Bibles. John Owen said that? Yes. Because we thank God for the Bible, but without the Holy Spirit, people will remain unsaved. We won't understand it. So we need a rich doctrine of the Holy Spirit. A fifth application from this is the imperative of preaching in the church. As we see, Jesus was a preacher. Peter was a preacher. And so preaching must continue until the end. A sixth thing is, is what we call the free offer of the gospel. Have you ever heard of any teaching on that? I'm reviewing a book at the moment, and every now and again there's a doctrine that pops up and says, let's hold back with the gospel because some of the non-elect might hear it. Well, Peter doesn't have that attitude. You know, these non-elect Gentiles, I'm not going to call them to come to Christ because they might come. We're to preach the free offer of the gospel, and that's this morning. If, if you've never come to Christ, the gospel calls you this morning to come, to come to Christ and to be saved. And lastly, as I mentioned about baptism, the mode of baptism is not given here. The most important thing is that we have our faith based on Jesus Christ and we're cleansed by his blood. And then we are baptized and become part of the church.